This weekend marks the end of spooky season for most, and I wanted to do something special. I've been mentioning Nightmare Fuel, our sponsor, for a few weeks now, and as part of that sponsorship, I ran a writing contest for a special Halloween episode. I got 12 wonderfully spooky tales to choose from, and the one I selected for tonight is called All Sales Are Final by Luis Medina. I have Luis on to talk about his story, the class we took together, and other stuff, but first, grab your headphones, turn out the lights, find a safe hiding space, and fall in to hunting season. Sundown is less than an hour away. Stay for the spooktacular and reschedule your appointment for tomorrow, Lonnie, the office manager, dressed in blue business attire and sneakers, said. The clients are on my way home, Adam replied, as he put on his blue suit jacket and slung his backpack over his right shoulder. I'll do a speedy presentation, make a sale, hopefully, and rush home, change into something more comfortable, and I'll be back before the hoopla starts. He rushed past his boss on the way to the door. Shaking his head and rubbing his heavily stubbled face, Lonnie said, You're our best salesman this month by far. Nobody sells like you do, but tonight is important. Halfway out the door, he popped his head back in with a toothy grin, winking his large sepia eyes. Don't worry. I've never missed an office evening party. I don't plan on starting now. I'll see you at moonrise. Unlocking his used car, Adam tossed the pack in his passenger seat and drove off like a bat in hell. Driving down the highway, the time on the dashboard read 5.40 p.m. Sunset was at 6.30 p.m. Okay, the house is close. If I shorten my spiel, I can be home by 6.10, be out the door by 6.15, and back at the office with plenty of time, he thought, as he turned right and stopped two houses down. Grabbing his bag, he sped-walked the small gray house. Looking down the road, the sun sank further. The moon was barely visible in the changing sky. This better be quick, he said to himself, running his hand through his longish brown hair. Ringing the doorbell, he gave himself a once-over to make sure he was presentable. Reaching out again, the door surprisingly swung open. A man in his early forties stood in his half-zipped sweater and olive-colored dockers. Can I help you? Yes, sir. You, Mr. Stevenson? A woman joined the man at the front door, wearing a royal blue blouse and black and white pinstripe pants. Hello. Yes, we're the Stevensons. I'm Patty, and this is my husband, Harold. I'm Adam. We spoke on the phone yesterday. Is now a good time? Patty nodded her head towards her husband, pressuring him to nod his head in agreement. Yes, this is fine. Won't you come in? She said as she moved to the side, ushering him in. Thank you. I promise I won't take too much of your time. Shutting the door behind, Harold loudly announced, You can start without me. Excuse me. Walking past the two, he gave Patty a strained look as he disappeared into the kitchen. Forgive my husband. He has a carcass in the other room he's salting before it goes into the freezer. Won't you sit down? She pointed to the lounge chair. Oh, is he a hunter? When he gets the urge, he enjoys it. And the meat. (laughs) She left. We usually have enough for a few months. This should last us until spring. With a twinkle in his eye, Adam said, I understand completely. 
I'm a bit of a hunter myself. There's nothing like a kill to satisfy the animal in us. They shared a moment of laughter before he sniffed the air hungrily. I must say, however, the way your husband is seasoning his catch is making my mouth water. I'm sure you'll be eating well this winter. Indeed. She said, smirking coyly. Pulling out the leather bag, Adam continued. Thank you again for meeting with me. I understand evenings are a sacred time for family, so I'll make this snappy. He rolled it out, exposing the freshly polished cutlery set. Before we begin, I must ask, are you familiar with cut, right? No, I can't say I am. Is this something you can buy in a store? Oh, no. Cutright is based out of Pennsylvania. We have small personal offices throughout the country and salespeople to make door-to-door connections, relying solely on recommendations from our clients to succeed. Harold walked into the front room, cleaning his hands with a red wash rag. Sorry. Now, what are we talking about? He sat on the arm of the couch next to Patty. Knives, she said. Adam pulled out a serrated carving knife. Unlike most, these have a full tang, are made from high-carbon steel, and the best part is, they never need to be sharpened. Now, I'm about- We'll take them, Harold said. Caught off guard, and at a loss for words, he muttered. Excellent. Um, we have six sets to offer. We'll take the one you brought, pointing at the knives on the table. This is our essentials kit. It includes everything you see here, which runs 450. The bonus- May I see that, please? I want to get a feel, Patty said. Adam let go as she impatiently took it from his hand. It's lightweight and strong. I'm sure you'll be happy with your selection. Harold sat unimpressed with his arms crossed, staring at his wife as she lovingly examined the blade. This is sharp. Is there anything it won't cut through? Looking up at her husband as she asked the question. No, cuts all types of protein and bone. If you're sure, I have some paperwork we can fill out. Ecstatic with the outcome, he reached for the folder containing ordering forms and payment plans. Patty leaned down to caress the back of Adam's head. That won't be necessary, sweetie. We'll take it as is. Grabbing his hair to pull his head back, she sawed open his throat. His eyes widened. Please, don't! Gurgling as he attempted to stop the river of blood. Trying to stand, Patty pushed him down, stabbing him over and over until he crashed onto the floor, spasming as she plunged the cutter in one final time. Looking over at her husband in a seething manner. Appreciate the help, Jack. No, no, please. I'll take care of him while you sit there on your duff. Jesus Christ, Stacy. Why him? We have our two. We don't need a third. Now we have to get rid of his car, or didn't you think of that? Standing up, she walked into the kitchen. The real Harold and Patty continued to bleed onto the floor, their throats slashed, chests bloody with stab wounds. She tore off several sheets from the roll of paper towels on the counter to soak in warm water. Dabbing the blood splatter from her face, she turned and leaned against the sink, watching her husband trail in behind her. How long until you're finished with them? She asked, glancing at the body of the Stevensons. No more than an hour. We'll need to leave some parts behind for the investigators to identify in the fire. But the guy out front... He's gravy. He was never supposed to be here so we can use all of him. More for us. Honestly, I don't understand why you're so upset about this. Jack said with restraint. Their blood and flesh is natural to find here, but the kid doesn't live here. If they find any of his DNA, this whole operation is done for. Plus, now we need to dump his car. The only reason this works is because we've had no slip-ups, and baby, this is a big one. Walking over to her husband, Stacy wrapped her arms around him, kissing him tenderly on the lips. 
Well, we'll make sure the gasoline soaks in his blood, won't we? They'll find Harold and Patty's teeth and case closed. We have enough food now for months. I don't like this. It'll work. Come on, I'll cut off their heads while you start on their arms and legs. 45 minutes later, five deep freeze coolers lined the kitchen. Three of them were sealed and locked, and the other two still open. The dark crimson pool of clumped blood stunk of rust and death. This was always the messy part. The scene always ended the same. In flames. Wiping his brow with the back of his sleeve, Jack was nearly done. All right, end of the road. They're ready to move. Now, all that's left is that knife guy in the front. Stacy clapped her hands excitedly. Yay! I say we go and grab a couple of burgers, come back, and finish up. What do you think? Smiling for the first time tonight, he agreed. Sounds fine to me. But first, I think I better find some other clothes to wear. I hope Harold has something that fits. The table in the front room smashed to the ground, startling the nefarious couple. What the hell was that? Stacy shrugged her shoulders. Growls came from the room. Something grunted as it struck the chair and knocked over a vase. Heavy footsteps ran inside the house. The front door was shut, right? Did you lock it? Jack asked. Yeah. Was there a dog? I don't know. Check it out. You check it out. Rolling her eyes, Stacy said. Ah, fine. We'll both check it out. Jack followed her into the room. The curtains were slightly open. A sliver of light from the full moon filled the room with shadows of obsidian. Here, puppy, puppy. She gently called. Where are you, you little mongrel? He whispered. A threatening growl answered back. (gasps) What was that? Stacy stopped in her tracks, looking around for the dog. She saw the chair and the overturned table. Uh, Where did he go? She hit Jack. Where did who go? He asked before noticing the missing guy. Bloodstains surrounded the outline of where the body should be. This isn't right. We need to... A snarl broke the silence as a seven-foot werewolf bared its fangs. The hellish beast lunged at Stacy, stifling a half-formed scream as it chomped down on her face, sinking its teeth, relishing the flow of blood and meat spilling down its matted black fur. Jack heard Stacy's skull crack and shatter under the creature's muzzle. He needed to escape. Run. Find a weapon, something, anything. But the warhammer battering in his chest echoed in his ears. His body convulsed, paralyzed with terror. All he could do was stare as the monster ripped his paramour in two. The hellhound turned its amber eyes towards Jack, who was cowering in his own filth. Lifting its blood-soaked head, it tossed Stacy's bits to the side, crawling on all fours to its next prey. Jack couldn't move. He tried to scream as the monster's breath washed over him. He prayed to black out as his heart raced, hoping to be spared from this nightmare. The beast snatched him, holding him in its clutches, digging its claws into his back. Blood ran down like liquid fire. His voice no longer suppressed. He yelled in agony as the lycanthrope tore out his windpipe. Choking on his lifeblood, Jack felt his entrails slip out as his bottom half split open. The final horror he saw was the portal to Hades behind the endless row of spikes in the beast's mouth. (laughs) 
Adam slumped down into the driver's seat, placed his backpack next to him, and took several deep breaths. He was exhausted. His clothes were bloodied and torn. Speeding down the road, he saw the fire in his rearview mirror. It was only a matter of time before fire trucks and the rest of the brigade drove past to put the flames out. Thanks to the gas the cannibals left behind, the house and everything inside would be ashes by the time it was out. Lonnie went to the door to let in Adam, who had been furiously knocking. Swinging the door open, his jaw dropped at Adam's appearance. What did you do? You didn't go rogue, did you? No. I met a pair of psychos who slit my throat and stabbed me in the back. Literally. By the time I regained consciousness, the moon was up and, well, things kind of got out of hand. They walked past cubicles. Oh, you didn't feed on them, did you? Well, they had it coming. They killed the owners of the house and tried to kill me. Trust me, no one's going to miss them. Please tell me you didn't leave them there. Do I need to call headquarters? I handled it. Adam interrupted. The house and half the block are probably burned down by now. And your captures, will they turn? A smirk crept over his face. Nothing left to turn. Lonnie put his arm over Adam's back. Well... Come on, everybody's waiting for you. As they walked into the conference room, the rest of the employees were standing in a circle, growling at the five men in the middle. What's on the menu tonight? Escapees from the prison up the road. No sense in wasting food. Come on. They happily took their places. The professional men and women growled as their skin stretched. Claws ripped out of their fingers. Their jaws gaped open with dagger teeth. They were tall, vicious, and hungry. They cocked their monstrous heads back as they howled in unison. The prisoners stood with their backs to each other, yelling for help, looking for a way out of this nightmare. One of them cried, praying to God as the werewolves crunched into attack positions and lunged at their monthly feast. Hey friends, do you want to write scary stories like me but you don't know where to start? Well, let me tell you about a course I took online called Nightmare Fuel, which is presented by Autocrit, our sponsor, guiding you through everything you need to know to develop and create amazing tales packed with fear and terror. Nightmare Fuel is an absolute horror writing survival guide with a healthy measure of self-study, workbooks, videos, and intensive live virtual classrooms. In addition to the impressive breadth of knowledge from the teachers, the course also features exclusive and meaningful guides from Rain Hall, gothic horror author and creator of the Writer's Craft Guidebook series. Okay, so you've got your money's worth right there, but let me tell you about the parts where I really benefited, and that's the private member community and the editing software. The Autocrit software is like hiring a great therapist. It's there to guide you towards making good decisions in your writing, but you still do the work yourself and make your own decisions. The software can run hundreds of reports that help you critique your own writing, pacing, and repetition, and it has taken my writing to a whole new level. Now, I made friends during the class, talented, hard-working friends who love to write stories like I do, and we were able to connect, to chat, share our work, and get feedback from each other without sharing personal information through the private Autocrit network, which for me is like if I could take my favorite social media platform and remove everyone who's not interested in what I like. I can't tell you enough how valuable this class has been for me, and they don't just do horror, they have sci-fi and fantasy as well, so if you're looking to get started in writing or you just want to take that next step to get better, check out Haunting Season dot com slash autocrit.
Good evening, world, and welcome to Haunting Season. The story tonight was by Luis Medina, and we have him here on the show. Hi, Luis. Hello. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing great. This is my first time talking to you, really. Were we in the same writing class? I don't know, to be honest. You definitely look familiar. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Okay. But we did both take the Nightmare Fuel class from Autocrit. I wanted to start there because that's like how we met each other. It was yeah. through that. For anybody listening and they don't know yet, the story today, the reason why it's not written by me, it's written by someone else, is because I took this horror writing class somewhere this year. I, what is time anymore? I don't know. And Gareth, who was the the teacher of Nightmare Fuel, which is provided by Autocrit, is the company that does the classes. He reached out after a couple of months of listening to my podcast and said, how can we team up? And my idea was there are so many other amazing writers that I ran into on Autocrit and on their Mighty Networks platform that it just seemed like a natural fit to then feature other authors. And so we ran submissions and I read everybody's story and I thought yours was the perfect one for Halloween. <laughs> Thank you very much. Werewolves was never something we did on the show yet. Oh, really? Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so that was exciting for me. <laughs> yeah, I remember, gosh, I think earlier this year or late last year when I was talking to Gareth, we actually kind of agreed that we love werewolves. But there's just so little stories, not too many stories or much of anything, media for werewolves. Yeah, but even then, it's hard to find like a really good one. Right. Here's a story and hey, here's a cheap werewolf costume. <laughs> and that's really it. But nothing really that kind of delves into what makes them just creepy and just monstrous, but also tap into a little bit of that, which I always love the aspect of the person who is bitten or turns into a wolf is actually cursed. Because a lot of the stories, you know, that are out there, those characters want to be the monster they just want to be normal so that's always fascinating me so i thought it was a good starting point yeah i never thought of it as being cursed i always figured it was some sort of like blood thing like a contagious kind of like zombies i think the movie curse of the werewolf with oliver reed i think that is a blood curse i think i might be misremembering that or something misremembering that yeah whatever that word is i know isn't it funny as like an author talking to another author just how hard it can be to get words to come out of your mouth sometimes <laughs> oh yeah like talking is a whole different plane but like writing is like oh i've got this and i can look up this thesaurus word and check out this dictionary but talking if words come out if they make sense awesome <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching a bunch of movies leading up to Halloween, as I'm sure everybody else has, and I just discovered the movie Ginger Snaps. Have you seen that one? I have not. It's actually been on my list of things to watch because I've heard from a lot of monster conventions it's actually pretty good. And I know it's a female werewolf, which is very rare in the genre of werewolf films and stories. I won't spoil anything. I'll just highly recommend you watch it because I think it's my favorite werewolf movie now, just because it's so different from everything else. Let's start with this story. How did you come up with this story? What was the inspiration? Was it, oh, I've got to come up with a Halloween story and it came to you? Or had this been something you had been thinking about before? Yes and no. With Nightmare Fuel and Autocrit, Gareth, who's, I guess, the head of the section of that, after Nightmare Fuel ended in October 2020, a group of us just continued on. And he's like, would you be interested in writing prompts? Just keep writing and have people comment and share your work. And we're all like, yeah, absolutely. And this actually, the story stemmed from a writing prompt, which I think it was called One Last stop. And that's all. It was just one line. And I'm like, huh, okay. For whatever reason, I thought, okay, one last stop. I work nine to five, probably after work or something. I'm doing something and something happens. And I went back to my days as a knife salesman. I actually worked as a knife salesman in New York about 20 years ago. Wow. That idea of one last stop is always, oh, just one more sale or one more trip, one more session of clients to, to try and make a sale for. And the weird thing about being a salesman, especially for knives, there's an unbelievable amount of trust. You're going to someone's <laughs> house you've never met and say, hi, look, I have these very sharp knives and I'm going to demo for you. So you're like, 
going to these people's houses, they're letting you in, and so you're trusting when you give over the knives that they're not going to kill you or do something. <laughs> and also, there's a fair amount of trust where they hope that you don't do the same. Yeah. That weird situation has just always been stuck in my mind. I'm very grateful that nothing ever happened. That mixed with that last prompt, one last stop, I was like, huh, what if the idea of something happening actually did happen? A knife salesman goes to a house and he gets killed. Now I'm interested in what happens next. So I just kept writing. Maybe they're cannibals. Oh, maybe they actually broke in and actually killed the actual tenants. And without really even thinking, I wrote, there's a bump on the table from the front room. Okay, so I wasn't expecting that. I stopped, rewrote what I wrote, and I'm like, huh, okay, let's see how this goes. Is it a zombie? Zombies didn't really make sense. Yeah. You know, hey, I want your brain. Hey, would you like to buy some knives? No, that doesn't really work. So I was like, werewolf might be good. You know, twist that there's not a lot of werewolf stories. And so I had that kind of be more of the jump scare aspect of it. Once I realized that it was really at its heart, a werewolf story and this guy really just trying to make a living, just trying to get back to the office for this party that isn't a party, it developed into trying to throw in some foreshadowing of like, you know, when he's sniffing the air, it's like, oh, however your husband's preparing that, it smells amazing. And then on second read, you know, realize that it's actually just the bloodied corpses in the kitchen that he's smelling. And so just trying to layer in more of those aspects. Yeah. So that hopefully Hopefully, when you get to the reveals, like, oh, okay, those weren't throwaway lines. It was there the whole time. They also equally work as like misdirection, too, because you're like, oh, maybe it's funny that he likes the smell of human flesh. Or maybe, oh, he's going to end up eating some of it. Your brain is trying to make those connections of like, oh, is he a cannibal? You know, I love how many twists and turns are in this because I did not expect the werewolf. Oh, cool. I didn't expect the people, obviously the couple, to not be the real people and then to have the corpses in in the kitchen and now we're juggling two things and then we get the lycanthrope and now we're juggling three things we got the fire and disposing of the car i just like kept coming at me which is why i really liked it and why i wanted it to be the story for this month it catches you and it just doesn't stop it's kind of like that just writing it too it was just the ideas just kind of flow in almost just free-for-all writing when i went back and read it and I'm like, oh, okay, this could actually be a lot of fun. I approached it more as a reader mm -hmm. as opposed to a writer. <laughs> so it was one of those weird things where like the story just kind of let the story tell itself and it told me what it wanted to be. So how did you get into writing in general? Is horror your main genre? Yeah, for the most part. So I started writing really when I was a kid, one or two paragraphs and then like a page or something. But it wasn't really until I went to the Atlantic Theater Company Acting School in New York to study acting. Their mantra is really to create your own work. So you're not just waiting for a casting director or somebody just to cast you in something, but you're just putting your own work and creating it. They teach directing and writing. So with the writing we were doing, that was really the kind of the bedrock for me of character development, story development, what the through line is, what you want the audience or the reader to kind of get from that juxtapositions of good people and the villains and trying to get more of a blending of the gray area because for me it's always interesting where not everyone's purely good or purely bad but it's kind of a mix and i always love the idea of the bad guy getting his which mm -hmm. i think in the story they definitely do so jump to about five years ago there was a reboot of a tv series that the company was trying to do that featured a certain host i will say <laughs> for copyright reasons, where they wanted a creepy story that they thought could fit within that realm. So I wrote something that was a little Lovecraftian, had a little tongue-in-cheek, but the creepiness factor of it. We got through to a couple rounds. That project went belly up, and I had this story that I thought worked pretty well. So I'm like, well, I'll try and do the self-publishing thing. Put it up, sold a couple copies, surprisingly. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is 
pretty well. Had another story I was semi-writing, fine-tuned that, put it up, self-published it, also in the horror genre, and it worked. And so I'm honestly just a horror junkie, so that's what I gravitate to naturally. Anything like horror movie, literature, music, and anything horror-related, I'm right there. So for me, that's definitely my go-to. Yeah, so what are some of your like horror recommendations? Like when someone's like, oh, I love horror too, like what kind of stuff do you watch? My go-to really is like the classic Universal films. That's what I grew up on. I love, you know, The Wolfman, 1941, Lon Chaney Jr. I love Dracula, The Creature from the Black Lagoon is one of my favorite all-time creatures in films. I also love the Hammer Horror films, and I grew up watching those. And then I'm a child of the 80s, so obviously Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th. But yeah, if someone asks me, I'm like, okay, what do you like? Because I think the biggest misconception about horror is it's just horror. There's so many subgenres. You know, there's classic, there's monsters, there's the kaiju for the Godzilla and Rodan, and there's splatter, there's 80s, there's torture porn, which is... <laughs> no, I always feel weird saying that one. <laughs> all these different genres of it. So I'm like, okay, what kind of story do you want? And from that, I make my recommendations. So when it comes to writing, do you have any of those subgenres that you just aren't interested in writing or in the opposite direction, ones that you tend to gravitate towards more? I, I tend to write a lot more ghost stories and I'm trying to branch out more this year, especially since taking the autocrit class. I love a good ghost story and like a campfire story. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark was a huge inspiration, obviously. Early on, I tried forcing myself to the ghost story realm rather than just trying to figure out what the best way to tell a story is. And that's letting that dictate what subgenre it is. And so I'm finding that I'm actually writing more semi-gothic, some more like Lovecraftian and more monster werewolf and vampire kind of thing. There is one story that does skirt the line of torture porn, but not really. It's more of a revenge story, you know, of a father, you know, and so forth. So it does skirt that, but not so much just here's the blood and gore. That's the only thing that kind of turns me off mm -hmm. is if it's just blood and gore. I need some sort of substance behind it. Yeah. But I'm, I'm a little surprised at what comes out of these stories that I'm writing. <laughs> Do you remember what the first thing you ever wrote that was longer than just uh, like an idea? Yeah, it was actually a story that I first self-published. I'm actually in the process of rewriting it now called Last Sunset. It deals more with the Grim Reaper, you know, and someone who passes away. There are some horror elements to it. I kind of tag it more as like a drama with horror elements. That is the first story that really just kind of, I didn't really have to work too hard, just kind of let it flow. And wound up being fairly long because there was a lot of personal experiences in my life at the time where, you know, people near and dear to me were passing away all at once. Oh, man. And so that story stuck with me for years for me to go through the grieving process. Yeah. And not go insane <laughs> from everything that's going on. I wrote this story over the course of about 10 years. That story developed into what it is right now. The story is about 20,000 words or so. That was really the first chunk of story that I actually wrote that was fairly long. I have yet to write anything longer than really a short story. Like my platform really dictates the length of what I write, but I'm, especially after taking the writing class, more and more interested in writing a chapter book. A lot of my stuff, I think, calls to like 13 year olds, like 13 to 18 year olds. Mm -hmm. It feels very young adult because it's fun. It's campy. It doesn't get too deep or too heavy. I don't have a huge vocabulary that I'm drawing from. Sometimes those are the best. Yeah, yeah. I love the idea of a chapter book that's 15 chapters long. Do you have any advice for me for like starting to get into writing longer form? Because for me right now, I have a little bit of a formula. I know I've got to hook people on the first page. I have to have something scary happen by the end of the first page. And then I got to keep people interested. 
with a book, I mean, it's kind of like a movie. You want to have some normal life before you get into the, the crazy stuff. And there's a lot of like subplots. I think that's what Autocrit Nightmare Fuel has provided with those character sheets of like really finding out who your character is and having a little bit of a background so that you can just let the story evolve. But my favorite authors that kind of skirt the short story and long novel form, Clyde Barker is one of my absolute favorites. The books of blood are just fantastic short stories. And The Hellbound Heart, which is the premise of Hellraiser, is actually a novella. It's just short enough-ish, but it's a complete story, complete with with chapters and everything. I think for me, that was more of an inspiration as far as like, oh, you can tell a semi-complete story in a novella. If you just allow the characters and the story to evolve, then as you get more details of like, okay, where where does this story take place? In the case of, you know, all sales are final, it takes place within a couple of hours. That's where you get those intricacies of potentially expanding that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found a lot of my stuff takes place within 24 hours or it jumps ahead to whatever the next important moment is instead of spending time with the characters. That's great advice. We've talked about Autocrit a couple of times, but for anyone who's listening who's not familiar with it, can you go over what it is and how you found it? So last September, during the pandemic, obviously home and going to school or anything, it was, it was just you know not possible. I was kind of retooling my stories that I self-published. I liked the idea of going to a school and getting some sort of formal either education or at least a program to kind of help me nurture things a little bit more or give things a more finesse, as, as Gareth likes to say. I kept seeing on social media this thing that says Nightmare Fuel, presented by Autocrit, with a skull on it. And it looked very ominous and everything. And I'm like, huh, that's kind of cool. And it kept coming up in my feed. Nightmare Fuel by Autocrit. This time I was like a vampire. Okay, so that, that's got my attention. And I think it was the zombie that was like reaching out or something. I'm like, okay, what is this? And so I clicked on it. <laughs> so talk about getting you know, your audience's attention. I clicked on it and saw that it was a four-week program, specifically where it was a subgenre of autocrit that focused on horror. And this was actually the first time that they were going to offer a class dealing with horror. Usually it was like uh, drama, regular fiction, and I think sci-fi and, and fantasy. So I started reading more about the program and I found out that Autocrit has an editing platform, which if you are a writer is phenomenal. If you've ever written anything, for anyone who's listening, it is incredibly tedious and really easy just to completely gloss over your own work when you're just reading the same sentences over and over and over and over and you don't really know what you're looking for. What the editing platform does is you can pull in your writing, either a paragraph or a chapter, or I think it's up to 20 pages or something. It'll give you how many times you've repeated a word, anything thing that's an adjective or all these editing things that just makes it more of you kind of know what you're looking to eliminate or change so that when you get to that editing process and finish it you have a pretty solid story you know so this way you're not spending time editing you're spending more time writing which as a writer for ideas is like oh i have this idea but I've got to read this thing 50 million times. It's a quicker and I think more efficient way to edit. So with Nightmare Fuel, you got free access for the month for that. And the program basically focused on different levels of fear. The first week really was an introductory session, which was focusing a little bit more on a personal situation that you've gone through where you were afraid. The purpose of that really is to tap into what goes on. Are you sweating? Is it a cold sweat? Is your heart beating? Do you hear blood running through your ears? Are you paralyzed? Kind of observing those little specificities that we don't really think of. As that baseline continues, they say, okay, now create a character. 
once you've created a character, now create a monster. And so that's where they will introduce the character sheets so you can really figure out who your characters are that you're thinking of. So you get the background, their names, their nicknames, their family, their history, the origin. If it's a monster, when do they become a monster? Are they just ageless? Are they evil? Are they from another planet or something? And then from that, you just start writing background, setting. So you really get used to the setting of it. If you're in an old abandoned building, what does it smell like? Do you smell rust? Is there dirt? Are the lights flickering? Is it light? Is it dark? Is there a lot of metals? Is there a lot of woods? Figuring out where the story is going to take place. And you want to set out a map so that you ideally know where your characters are going and living and breathing. The final week is to write a story using all of those elements that you're learning as far as trying to create the space, the elements, the feel, the characters. So ideally, hopefully, you're getting and crafting a story that kind of is very unsettling, but it works on a lot of different levels other than he walked into a dark room. You know, hopefully you're writing more like as he walked into the dark room, the floor creaked and something or other. Yeah. But yeah, I found the program exceedingly amazing. There were so many parts of it that I found extremely beneficial. One of them for me is the ability to access everything even after the class is done because yeah. it does go quickly. A handful of classes throughout the course of a month with a lot of homework. And if you've got a job like I do and you do working nine to five, it can be hard to slam into another Zoom call and and try and soak everything in but they give you the recordings of the live zoom classes now i think they have is it rain hall who's yeah yeah so they've rain hall involved in the classwork as well so it just keeps expanding and they're giving access to you for a lifetime you have the documents you can print out pre-recorded versions pdf versions it's just really comprehensive and then of course you've got the live classes where you get gareth uh, who is a bearded scottish amazing <laughs> mystery writer yeah gareth is awesome <laughs> and i say mystery writer because he won't tell us what his mysterious pen name is but you can tell i mean he just seeps horror from all of his pores it's funny you say that because after the class they offered one-on-ones i opted to do that and it was more of a brainstorming session for some of the stories that i was working on Mm -hmm. and it was more of a dialogue kind of like this with gareth i'm on camera and he's not you know, mystery. (laughs) But yeah, I would mention one little thing or one little idea. And he's like, oh yeah, and this would be great. And if you do this and you should do that, but it's like this story and just being able to follow that train of thought from a horror perspective is exciting. For me personally, that's what I love about Gareth and Beth and everyone at Autocrit, how those conversations go. They're so excited and so passionate and so encouraging that when you talk to them about any idea or anything you have, you could see the excitement. You know, of course you get excited about it. And so I was like, yes, I'm going to go right. Yes, I'm going to go do this. They're phenomenal. Yeah. And what's so helpful about that kind of positivity and energy is you're not necessarily going like, oh, you had a good idea. I'm going to go write that. It's usually like, oh, that's cool, but I I know where I'm going to go with it. And you go a completely different direction. But you might not have ever thought of it unless you had that like brainstorming situation. I found Autocrit in the same exact way as you did. And what got me to do it was that it was so cheap. Yeah. And I was really hungry for something extra. And I saw the price and was like, well, that's worth the risk. I mean, if this thing totally sucks, I'm not in bad shape. I've had the experience of taking an online course and and whatever. But it ended up being something that I joined for life. I'm on the Mighty Networks. I use on every single story, I use the Autocrit editing software. Same here. Like you said, it just makes things so much easier because my platform is auditory. So I'll get in the studio and I'll have my teleprompter up and I'll be reading my story and I'll see like, 
has next to each other. And it messes me up and it causes the recording process to lengthen because then on the spot, I have to either take the teleprompter down and fix it or I need to fix it mentally and go back and perform it correctly. It catches all that stuff so quickly. Repetition of words, repetition of phrases, passive indicators is something that I didn't realize I was so weak. <laughs> I used so many of those. <laughs> yeah, and just having it pointed out, the sheet did this or the sheet was flapping instead of the sheet flapped in the wind. It's a couple clicks of a button and it's not fixing your story for you. It's just pointing at it and then you fix it. And so you're learning in the process. It's definitely not telling you your writing is bad and you're doing this wrong. It's like, no, this is how many times you have it repeated. For me, at least it forces me like, okay, what other word or how can I write it to make it better or make it flow better? Or maybe I can get rid of these two lines because I'm just saying the same thing. And I can replace it with just like three words or something. So it makes it so much more concise. And I think it helps make you a better writer because it's making you think, do I need these words? And that mixed with Gareth. And I'll never forget, he had us read a section from a book about, I think it was about cannibals or something. And he was talking about how the Autocrypt platform, the, the editing software might tell you not to use the word just, but you as the writer have the choice and it's okay to disagree with the software right. because it's just a computer. He gave this great example of he put the gun to their head and just pulled the trigger and the just there offers such like a almost like a casualness to it but also an immediacy to it that without the just you don't get the same exact feeling. I like that there's a balance between it's not just use our software it's perfect it's like here's how to use it intelligently. You ultimately are the writer you have the power to say no I want this. It's ultimately your story the other thing I really love is you can actually pit your story against different genres or different authors in some cases. I use a lot of the generic horror stories or the, you know, the horror genre to pit my story to see kind of where that fits. But you can also do it with fiction or biographies or anything else. So the platform meshes very well with whatever you happen to be writing. I think there's even a screenplay one. I think they were working on a screenwriting one. I'm not sure if it's out yet, but I can't wait for that because I would love to just screenwrite. And I think that would give me the confidence to start working on some serious scripts. So <laughs> what are you working on now as a writer? Like, what's your next project? Do you have anything coming out, publishing? Yeah, I, I actually have, I, I'm compiling lists before this interview. And I'm like, well, I actually do have quite a bit. <laughs> so I have, uh, obviously, the, the story. I have three other stories. I've got a story called Southern Comforts, which is about ghouls in the Southern area. And I have a story called Renfield's Exsanguination, which is a little bit of prequel and runs parallel to the story of Dracula, but focuses more on Renfield's insanity and just bloodlust and actually him being more of a madman instead of just crazy psycho that we meet, you know, in Dr. Seabold's insane asylum. I have another story called The Beast Awakens, which is based on The Beast of Bladenboro, which is a local cryptid folklore tale in North Carolina. I also have a screenplay that I've written based on The Beast in the Cave, H.P. Lovecraft. And all those are actually have been submitted to festivals or for submission or something. So those are completed. But I also have some rewritings of Last Sunset through a discussion with Gareth. We kind of threw around ideas, and I'm going to be turning that more into a book of stories surrounding Grim Reapers, exploring like some might be sympathetic, but some might be evil. What happens? Taking the approach that there's more than just one Reaper. Cool. I've got a novella, I think maybe turning into a novel. I'm not sure. And I'm throwing around some ideas about ghost stories and, and local ghost legends from my hometown in California surrounding a cemetery potentially moving and unleashing the ghosts of the town or something. So I've got quite a bit. How do you choose which one you're going to work on? 
lately it's just been based on submissions. So if I have something that kind of fits those, I'm like, oh, okay, I can either retweak this or write it. These last stories are actually completed and ready for submission. A lot of them have actually been written around either competitions or potentially being added into an anthology or something. From a writing, I don't know if this is good or bad, but I have a lot that I I'll like. I'll write this and I'll write this and I'll write over here and over here. But I find that if I focus way too much on one story, then I don't even know what I'm writing or looking at. It's helpful for me to kind of write, you know, in one short burst. That's what works for you. That's great. Yeah. That's about it. Is there anything else you want to shout out or talk about or any links you want to have us put down below? I'm just on Facebook and Instagram. I'm on Money Networks. And so it's just trying to get those stories out. <laughs> yeah. So if anybody's listening and is interested, you can look up Autocrit or Nightmare Fuel by Autocrit. That's the horror writing class. They also do science fiction and fantasy and all kinds of writing classes. We took the horror one and it was great. And Gareth is a real character. So I would highly suggest it for many different reasons. Thank you so much, Luis, for being on Haunting Season today. This was so much fun and thanks for submitting your story i just love it haunting season was created by me joshua sterling bragg and is a joint production of matt Gielen and believe limited executive produced by patrick james lynch and matt and ryan Gielen. special thanks again to our guest author luis medina and our guest artist braxton gaither who made the killer artwork for this week on youtube and to our sponsor nightmare fuel the horror writing class from autocrit this week's story was performed by joshua sterling bragg with guest audio from molly oblivion of the final girl friday podcast the story was edited by colby crow and the podcast was edited by drama del rosario hit up haunting season on TikTok for more scary movie reviews and horror talk. That's it for today's episode. And remember, we're more likely to survive if we stick together. I'll see you next time.